Well, the funny thing is in Waterville, New Hampshire, um, we're the first applicants to the planning board in the past four years. Are you kidding? Um, wow. So, so they don't really know what to do with us. <laughs> Hello, welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life. I know you have over 2 million podcasts to choose from, so I'm very grateful and honored that you are here. And today we're going to definitely, you'll be glad you tuned in because today we have Damon Amato for you and he is a real estate entrepreneur. He's also a practicing athletic trainer for Lowell High School in Lowell, Mass. Uh, he's got a master's degree in applied nutrition and he wrote the 2018 textbook, An Athletic Trainer's Guide to Sports Nutrition. I did not know that about you, Damon. Uh, he's also a very active building single family luxury homes, entitling land and acquiring large multifamily buildings. And that is the part of his career that we're mostly going to be talking to him about today. Damon, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. Yeah. And Damon was actually one of my first guests. So if you go back into the archives, I think he's in on a single digit podcast number. I think you're like number nine or something like that. So that's, it's awesome to have you back and to see, I'm anxious to hear how your business has evolved since that time. Um, yeah, we've done, we've done bigger and bigger things. Um, recently, we just finished building a custom house for a client in Newburyport. And it didn't actually start out that way. We, we bought the lot and we were going to build a spec house. And literally within three days, uh, and this is during the pandemic in, in June, um, a realtor that we knew brought somebody by and uh, looked. we met him at a house that we previously built but hadn't closed on yet. And he said, oh, this is going to kind of look like this. And we're like, yeah, pretty close. And he was like, well, who do I give a check to? So um, bought the house right there. Uh, we started building it. And uh, it eventually turned into a custom house with a very intense client. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we handled it. And he's happy. And he's in. We haven't. We we're going to close, I think, next week when his bank does the reappraisal. But he's um, he's moved in there now. So. Great. Great. Yeah. yeah, that's now that's a big departure, right? Working for a client and allowing them to tell you what to do every step of the way. How was that? Is that do you do that um, a lot? It's a, it's a little bit different because it's throughout the process. We own the land and, uh, you know, we're paying for everything like through our bank draws, as opposed to a, a straight client build, which is they just hire us to build the house right. for them. Yeah. So we don't do much of that because clients can be uh, difficult uh, in some instances. Um, but in this case, you know, we have a little bit more control over it. If something really went bad, you you can actually kick the client out. Yeah. Um, you know, you have you you just have a lot more control over the situation. Yeah, that's true. But on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, you, you, it's not you going out and picking out all the fix finishes and stuff like that. I mean, is that normal? Do you, on your other projects, have you allowed the clients to do the finishes and stuff at the end? Um, kind of depends. If you're building a spec house, uh, usually when we build a spec house, I'll produce the full spec sheet of what's going in. And then at the end, I'll provide a list of available upgrades. Mm -hmm. So basically things that we would be willing to upgrade. And I basically choose that by, you know, is this going to slow us down or be a big deal if we have to make this change? And if it's not, then we'll, we'll include that as an available upgrade. I mean, things like 
you know, choosing your countertop or your paint colors. I mean, anybody can do that, but we'll put in things like, do you want to upgrade the, the fireplace surround to shiplap with a white oak uh, mantle or uh, finish the basement or, um, you know, upgrade the decking to mahogany or things like that. Nice. So you're doing mostly luxury homes? <clears throat> Uh, mostly, although we're building a house right now in Salisbury that is, um, I wouldn't call it low end at all, but lower end for us, I suppose. Uh, I mean, it's still, you know, granite countertops and hardwood flooring and a nice layout. And um, actually, they're, uh, we're putting in an incredibly expensive island because uh, we built a house uh, two years ago and in New Hampshire. And once we closed on it, the buyers wanted us to put in um, about $200,000 in upgrades after they paid over one and a half million for the house. And um, yeah, I was, I was not prepared for that level of uh, uh, renovation. <laughs> renovation. No, well, because we walked them through the house and they obviously loved the house because they bought it. And the wife brought me through the kitchen and we've had this island, it's a, it's a wood, uh, white oak reclaimed wood island, um, custom made by, we, buy, we have to buy it on Etsy. And it had about $4,000 worth of quartz on top of it. And uh, she said, yeah, this is, this is cool. This, we really like this, but you guys can have it. We wanna replace it with a 10 foot by four foot island with a sub-zero wine fridge and a sub-zero beverage center. And uh, it was, a uh, that island cost them over 20 grand. Wow. Yeah. So they gave it back to us. So it's, uh, so we're gonna put that in this house in Salisbury now. So it's gonna oh, be nice. a uh, very, very nicely upgraded island in that house. Sounds beautiful. And that's something like that can just change the whole kitchen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So before, are you still doing, are you now? Okay. Let's start right at the beginning. Was this always your thing? Was this always your job or did you ever have like a sort of a nine to five W2 type of type of career? Well, like I said, I'm, I'm the athletic trainer, still the athletic trainer for Lowell high school. Yeah. And that's not nine to five. That is, <laughs> um, two 30 to, uh, six 30, unless we have night games. Yeah. And then maybe I'm there until eight or nine. So it, it, it happens to work out well for me because real estate stuff, uh, you know, generally happens earlier in the day. So I can talk to subcontractors, um, take care of emails, go to banks, uh, write contracts. That's kind of my part of the business anyway. Yeah. In the afternoons, I mean, occasionally there's a phone call here and there unless something goes wrong. Um, but you know, by the time I've been in Lowell for an hour or so, um, you know, real estate stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, is, um, pretty much done for the day anyway. Yeah. So, so but it, I know there are people out there who have a job, you know, maybe not as, as interesting and fun as being an athletic trainer and athletic director, but they, you know, have a, a goal or a hope or an aspiration of doing some kind of a thing, a side hustle that can turn into a, a career. A, right. turn into a, a significant revenue stream. I mean, how did you make that? How, how did you, I mean, it's not a natural, it's not an, uh, an easy thing to think, oh, athletic trainer to, or athletic director to, to real estate investor. How did you make that? How did you 
get involved in that? Um, I, um, well, I'm a member of Fortune Builders, which is a, uh, um, like an education company. And uh, they used to have um, all sorts of advertisements all around anywhere. So finally, I just kind of, and I had, I actually built my house about 12 years ago. And I had tried to invest in rental properties. Um, thankfully, I, I did it in 2007. And lucky for me, I didn't, nobody accepted any of my offers <laughs> uh, during that time because that was right at the bubble. So I lucked out there. So I, I, I knew a little bit about real estate, but I wasn't comfortable like diving in. So I joined Fortune Builders mostly because um, athletic trainers in general, uh, I'm trying to say this nicely, don't get paid as well as we should. Um, luckily, you know, my wife is a nurse and she was making plenty of money. However, it was draining on her at work. It's it's very mentally draining and, and physically draining. And she was working a lot of hours because she was bringing home most of the money. So, um, you know, I just kind of decided, you know, I don't want to be poor for the rest of my life. Uh, I, I need to figure out something else here. So I figured out a way where, okay, well, maybe I can figure out how to wholesale properties or buy rentals, maybe do an easy fix and flip kind of thing if I can figure it out. So, so I joined Fortune Builders. I figured out how to do, do everything. Um, jumped right in and did a five unit condo, my first deal, five unit condo conversion on Salisbury Beach. Wow. Buildings. Uh, I got a hard money loan um, that was terrible rates at the, even at the time in 2015. So I think my between my interest only payment and my flood insurance payment, I think the holding costs on that property was over $22,000 a month. Wow. Oh, my <laughs> God. Wow. So, um, but the numbers were really good. And uh, I, I, like many things in life, uh, when I see a really good opportunity, I say yes, and I figure it out later. <laughs> So yeah, that's um, a leap of faith. So luckily I figured it out later and uh, I didn't, didn't, I didn't do well, but I didn't lose my shirt. And uh, you know, from there and, and my current business partner now found me at, um, at the time he couldn't fund that deal. So he was just going to, you know, basically uh, let someone else do it. And in exchange for, he would list the property. So we did that. And we just grew together. He did some design work on that property. Uh, we did a, um, a project right after that together where we, um, you know, we actually had some issues there too. And the problem was he also was partners with his brother who was our GC and construction guy who ended up wanting to move back to Maine. So um, he wanted to just kind of do his own thing. So we were both kind of looking for somebody together he, you know, I wholesaled a few properties. Um, I actually wholesaled two properties off of MLS and uh, which, uh, you know, not the easiest thing to do, but I was able to do it and make a good profit on it. So we kind of worked together. Uh, my business partner's really incredible at design. So he would do renderings. We, I would sell the property. It was, and it just worked out really well. And we've, we evolved from a company of, of basically just wholesaling to doing fix and flips, to doing 
new construction to doing entitling land. And now we are, um, man, we, we're doing a lot more now. We're, currently, our biggest thing is we are permitting um, these two lots in Waterville, New Hampshire, that we got a, a big discount because we got under agreement during the pandemic. And uh, they were just uh, vacant lots. And now we're going to turn them into 12 townhouses and a detached single family. Wow. And um, uh, my partner is going to keep one of the townhouses. We'll sell the contract to a builder who we've sold a, a, a contract for a, a subdivision for before. And he'll build it out and, uh, you know, we'll make, you know, a good chunk of change. Uh, that's probably going to be half of our income for the year just that's on that nice. deal. And all because you just went for it, right? I mean, you just said, I'm, right. I'm going to make this is, work. Yeah. There is certainly risk involved there. So it's vacant land. You don't 100% know what you're going to be able to do with it. Yeah. So there is time and effort and money that you have to spend to figure that out. But luckily for us, my partner used to, that used to be part of his job when he worked for an architect in Cambridge was just, here's a lot of land. Tell me what I can do with it. And he would have to look up <clears throat> zoning code, uh, zoning bylaws and setbacks and all sorts of requirements to know how do we entitle this land. So he's really good at that. And, um, you know, I have a big network of people that want to buy things like that. And we do lots of renderings and we presented the boards and um, you know once we once we have a good idea that we're going to pass the boards um, then then we start spending money so that's I guess one of our biggest benefits is we've had this under agreement for um, almost a year now and we haven't spent actually any money really because we do all the renderings we do all the presentations at the board meetings now that they see our overhead view, our renderings, our elevations, and we're going to pass, then we engage engineers to do site plan and an architect to do construction sets for the full building permit. So that's the one thing that our benefit is, is it seems like a huge risk to do this, but for us, the risk basically is our time. Yeah. So in this case, just to kind of um, dial it back a little bit for folks who might be just at the very beginning stages of this kind of thing. So you haven't actually purchased the land. You put it under agreement with a contingency that says that you could be able to permit it. And, and what did your contingency say? Um, <clears throat> example of our contingencies are that um, uh, subject to obtaining a building permit uh, or all, no, I should say, uh, subject to obtaining all state, local, and federal permits to build uh, uh, property of buyer design and closing to occur within 30 days of obtaining building permit and all appeals periods have passed. Right, so basically, so basically you're not going to close on it until nobody can stop you from building what you want to build on this. Right, so it's I something- I really suggest you never- close without that, unless it's an ANR lot. Um, uh, then the ANR lot stands for approval not required. So you can build as long as you meet the setbacks. So it's by so, right. So right, it's by right. So you don't have to worry about that. But uh, you know, something like this, um, 
you, you know, the, the risk that you want to think about was, well, is the seller going to want me to close early? Well, okay, what is the absolute minimum I could do with this land? And for the price I have it for, if I do that, am I going to do at least okay and not, not lose any money? Well, in that case, you know, it wouldn't be awful to close in the lot now if you really had to. If you're worried about the seller taking it back from you or you're worried about uh, them, you know, getting out of contract for whatever reason, then you might be able to do that. But if it's just like if, you know, if it's a single family house lot that you want to turn into a subdivision and they want 800 grand for the lot and the house would only be worth 600 grand, don't buy that lot. <laughs> Not until you get a permit right. for, for a whole bunch more houses. Yeah. Yeah. So by doing that, you've minimized the amount of out-of-pocket expense that you had to basically put up. So you, you haven't, all this time, you haven't been carrying the land, you haven't been paying the taxes, you haven't been had to do with any of that, right? right? So this just is for folks who are thinking that this could be a fun thing to do. And then you put together some drawings to let the city know, well, this is what we want to do here. And then you go in front of the city boards, the board, the zoning board, and potentially the zoning board of appeals, and then you present the plan to them and then say, and then when they say yes, then you say, okay, then we'll buy the land. Right. And that at that point you've right. already sold it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, for a good example is we have a, um, uh, a property in Salisbury mass right now where it's a single family house lot with a, a lot next to it. And we were going to permit two multifamily buildings on it. Um, and the seller like the, the price that we have it for would not work for the house, just the house. Yeah. So we would never close on this without a permit. And of course, and, and the problem is we got, the first thing we did was had to get a survey. So the survey engineer came out and we found out that the lot lines are about 14 feet shorter than the back of the fence where it looks like the, the end of the lot is. So we had to throw that uh, design in the trash and start over. And we're still actually now waiting on the seller uh, to come back and say, we need to say, we're gonna need more time. Otherwise we're not gonna spend any more money because what your obsessor's map shows is not what the property is. And of course they don't like that and they want us to buy it right now. And we say no, cause it's not worth anything close to what you want for it. So right, right. Uh, that's, that's, that's what phone calls end up being for most of the week. <laughs> But this way, this this is a is a viable and very potentially very lucrative way of getting right. involved in real estate before you have a ton of money. Um, it is, but you it's also what you need the most knowledge for. And as I said, my my partner is pretty unbelievably talented in terms of, you know, he he's. Uh, he'll text me pictures every now and then, uh, you know, this, this thing in Waterville originally was six lots, six single family house lots. And he's like, you know what? I found out by right, you can do 10 townhouses. And he showed me this and I was like, wow, that's way better. And then two days later, he's like, oh, I, I shifted some, some lines over this way and that way. Now I got 12 and I'm just like, <laughs> um, I, and it's like, it seems like a trivial thing, but you know, when you're able to sell the project for 90 or 100 grand a unit, uh, yeah, let's get that extra unit. 
Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, like I said, that is very difficult to do. And you can try to pay an engineer or an architect to, well, an engineer to do it. Uh, they probably will not uh, care as much. Right. <laughs> I guess it's the nice way to, the game. To, to put, well, yeah, because you have to, one thing you have to understand is you spend, you know, $150,000 permitting a subdivision. And, you know, between that, you're, you know, you're paying, you know, 75 grand to an engineering company to do the full site plan and drainage and sidewalks and all that stuff. And you're paying for the architect to design all the houses and everything. And if you go to the board and you fail, they still get paid. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there's not a whole lot of that. And that's why we try to make things a little bit more um, incentivized for those kind of guys. Sometimes we tell an engineer, like if they want 75 grand to do all this, sometimes we'll tell them, well, that's kind of expensive. Um, what do you say? I give you, uh, you know, 40 grand. And then if we pass, I'll give you another 50. Um, sometimes that works. Some kids, sometimes, like I said, guys don't care. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, ideally you want someone who's going to feel more stake in the game, you know, more, more excited about it and, yeah. and more incentivized to do a better job for you. Right. Now you, you're working in Massachusetts and Maine. And did you say you also have done some stuff in New Hampshire? Well, it's Waterville, New Hampshire, not Waterville. Oh, it's Water Maine. oh sorry. Yeah. We've never done Maine. Okay. That's, that's pretty far up there. Yeah. For the yeah, most it, part. Do you, how do you find it different working in the different states? Is it difficult location-wise and stuff? Well, the funny thing is in Waterville, New Hampshire, um, we're the first applicants to the planning board in the past four years. Are you kidding? Um, wow. So, so they don't really know what to do with us. <laughs> and you didn't they just actually, come in and say, hey, I want to just build a house here. You just came in with this yeah, huge project. It's, um, it's a little strict because most, most board meetings in general are held like um, during the week at like seven o'clock typically uh, because the board members, you know, work during the day so the applicants and they that's across the board that's what you see yeah waterville's planning board meetings are thursdays at 8 a.m <laughs> um, it works out for you <laughs> it, well it threw us for a loop the first time we did it i'll tell you that it was very strange uh just because it was the opposite of everything we're, we're used to yeah. but yeah they have to they have to hire an outside consultant who wrote their zoning code um it was kind of incomplete, so we had to help them finish it and uh, make details of it. Um, but we've done that before. In Newburyport, we we permitted a subdivision that is uh, just about complete now at Bashaw Farm. Um, we wrote a new uh, zone for that area, for the <laughs> town. Because they knew it was something they wanted. Um, it was a really nice pocket neighborhood. It it didn't really meet the the um, bylaws of the town, so we made we made a new zone for it. Um, 
we're trying to do that in other places uh, too. Some are more resistant to improving the town than others. So um, I live in Northborough and it's, it is uh, uh, difficult to put it nicely, to, to get things passed, uh, especially things that would greatly improve the town. Not, you know, everybody thinks that uh, big bad developers are coming in to put in, you know, 40B, uh, you know, high rise buildings or, you know, smash a ton of houses together that are all 4,000 square feet. And that's not what we're doing at all. Um, we're actually trying to make, we, we actually, did a nice little pocket neighborhood that was to the T based on what the town's master plan said they wanted, and we still got shot down. <laughs> so I was uh, I was kind of, it was pretty confusing to say the least. But um, I'm actually having coffee pretty soon with someone who's running for planning board. So I, I hope they get it. And there can be some changes made so that the uh, the town I grew up in can can uh, you know get out of its own way a little bit. Yeah, that's too bad. Like you say, it's, you know, it's not it's not the only town like that. There's plenty of towns like that. It's a lot of you know big fish, small pond kind of thing, right? People get that feeling of you know, hey, I'm in control here. I can do whatever. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you have to remember these are unpaid positions for board members. Um, some of them are doing it because it's a town they grew up in and they really love it and they want to give back. Um, some people are doing it because they have their own agenda. Some people are doing it because they like having a power trip. Um, but so it's, it's a mix. Some planning boards are great and they're easy to work with. Um, and they're looking to, they're looking to work with people who want to improve the town. Yeah. So how do you find properties and how do you find these opportunities like Waterville in New Hampshire is not, you know, in your backyard? Um, that one, we really lucked out. My business partner owns a condo across the street and <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't on MLS and it wasn't online anywhere. It was just a sign on the road. Oh, really? Like for sale by owner kind of thing? Uh, not by owner. It was, it was a real, a real, a real estate agent. Uh, they, I don't know if they didn't put it online yet, um, but he's, you know, like we usually do, he, he drove by it, saw it, called me, I looked it up, uh, we looked up zoning, we're like, wow, but like we could do something here, let's, let's get this. Cool, cool. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, that's, you know, we lucked out. Yeah. Um, other properties, I mean, we find more in MLS than most people do only because um, I, I, I guess uh, one way to put it would be we ambulance chase a little <laughs> bit. So we see properties that have been on the market a year, two years, three years, just because no one knows what to do it or how to get it permitted. Yeah. So, um, so we've done that a lot. I mean, for example, we, um, in right by downtown Newburyport, there's um, two condos next to each other, uh, basically right underneath Route One. And it used to be a restaurant that burned down years ago. And even the uh, mayor of Newburyport, who's a real estate attorney, a really good real estate attorney, couldn't get anything past there. 
Hmm. And we were able to get it under agreement and we were able to permit the two condos. And we actually, that was at the time, that was the biggest fee we'd ever gotten for a, for a wholesale. Newport's a great town. It definitely yeah. And that was just on the market, had been on the market for three years. No one thought you could do anything with it. And we were able to, to figure out a way to do something. Excellent. Excellent. So other than that, um, we actually, I don't think I've spent a dollar on marketing in over five years. Um, I, there's so many realtors right now that um, message me or call me for deals that come up either off market or pre-market uh, just because they know uh, we, we can close or, or we can find somebody who will close. Was that something you did in the beginning that you you said you, you haven't spent anything on marketing? Did you do that when you first started out? Oh yeah, I spent uh, I want to say six or seven thousand dollars on direct mail marketing. Wow. Um, over the course of about nine months, I sent all sorts of stuff to all sorts of people, and I got exactly one phone call. Um, so I was like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think this is the best use of my time. <laughs> uh, although I will say, uh, I was probably pretty bad at it. I, I probably wrote a terrible letter. I probably didn't have good lists. Um, I probably said the wrong thing. Cause there are plenty of people that do direct mail and they absolutely crush it. Yeah. And, um, you know, they have a consistent uh, lead generation from direct mail marketing. Yeah. Um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to find what works for you. You know, you're more of a, right. more of a, you know, hands-on kind of person, make your connections with people and have yeah. them call you. Uh, yeah. Something. I mean, my first year in real estate, I went to every real estate meetup I could find. And I introduced my, uh, myself to every person I could think of, which is difficult for an introvert. Um, so, um, but when you're, you know, not so many words backed into a corner, you, you figure it out. So I made plenty of connections, um, you know, many of which I still have today. And, uh, you know, you grow and evolve from there. Yeah, that's great. So when, when you're getting ready to do a project, maybe in a new area, how do you find good contractors how do you know that the people you're hiring to do you know when you do the jobs yourself like in these luxury homes how do you know you're hiring people that are going to deliver that are going to do a good job um uh I, I could think of a fantastic answer for this but the actual answer is you don't <laughs> that's um, the honest answer <laughs> that's the honest answer uh about um about six months ago uh, eight months ago, we hired a, uh, a building uh, company who we got some good references, thought they could build fast, thought they could build cheap. So we hired them across four projects that we had going on so that we could act more as developers and less as builders so that we could use our time to be finding new projects and doing other things. Yeah. And um, about four months ago, um, we had to fire them. So that meant, and, and we were about six weeks away from finishing this custom house in Newburyport. So that meant uh, I had to do it. 
Oh God. But at least you had the skills to do it. I mean, not everybody's in that situation. I mean, yeah. And the lucky for us, um, the guys who we thought were going to come in and had all these subs who were cheap and everything ended up using most of our subs <laughs> that we already had. So um, I knew all of them anyway. So uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough because our, our client was getting kicked out of his rental. We had a deadline. Um, you know, everybody was getting COVID. We had materials that were showing up broken and or not showing up at all. I mean, uh, I mean, our, our client, he's in our ha his house right now. I ordered his appliances July 22nd, and I still don't have one. And I was complaining that it, I ordered my stove in November and it just came last week. And I thought, you know, I thought that was bad. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're lucky that the appliances that you need for a certificate of occupancy showed up. This was just a, a wall oven. Oh. Um, but man, I mean, it's been, you know, nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Supply chain's and, been a mess during COVID for sure. Yeah. And the increase yeah, in COVID prices. COVID has changed certainly a lot of things for us. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the good and thing about um, things right now is things, it's a seller's market. Everything sells really high. Yeah. The problem is everybody who comes to me and wants me to buy their uh, parcel of land wants a whole lot more money. And it's difficult to explain to them Yes, I understand that's what you want, but you have to understand that, like, for instance, the price of lumber is up, you it know, for two by 60 four. or 80% crazy. since last year. So instead of spending, you know, 40 grand on lumber for a house, now I'm spending over 80. So, um, Yes, I know the market is better, but that doesn't mean I can pay more for your lot. Exactly. If it was already built, that would be a different story. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the same thing with, um, you know, asphalt, you know, uh, a building a town road um, even three years ago was maybe $200 a foot. And now it's a thousand. Wow. Holy cow. Depending on what you have to do for sidewalks and hydrants and, and stuff like that. But um you have to that's one thing a lot a lot of people don't understand is you know oh you just buy these two lots for this much and you build for this much and sell for this much and you make millions of dollars and they don't understand well you, there's a lot of infrastructure that goes into that you know people i had a call on sunday with clients who really wanted me to build their house uh in north reading and they basically said here's you know you build a house for for how much is it to build a house like this and i was and i uh maybe it's a little snarky but i said well how much is a red car <laughs> i mean that's that's essentially what you're asking me right right um there's Need so many variables <laughs> yeah there's so many variables that go into it that um you know people don't understand that that we do and um you know, that's what makes that's what can make building very very difficult that's what i think people don't give builders enough credit for is knowing the intricacies of how you know these two houses side by side exactly the same square footage but one costs 15 percent more to build than, than the other one yeah 
Absolutely. Because that's yeah. where it is. The finishes, you've got the same bones. Well, it could be the, um, within the framing too. I mean, framing a box colonial, uh, very easy, uh, could take you four weeks framing a modern farmhouse with different roof lines and, uh, you know, curved roof lines maybe, or, um, you know, dog shed dormers and all sorts of, of funky stuff that could take you eight weeks and cost you, you know, 10%, 20% more just in framing labor. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I was thinking then, the two houses side goes, by side were the same house. Right. And then <laughs> if you have like, uh, you know, angled ceilings that, that already makes the, the framing more difficult, that makes the drywall more difficult to install, that makes the plaster, if it's blue board, more difficult to put well, on. The electrician, dryer. everybody's working on all kinds of staging and whatever. Right. And, yeah. Maybe you have three bathrooms and on the first floor, it's over on this side and on the second floor, it's over on this side and on the third. So it's, you know, it's, you know, it's not the easiest thing for a plumber to do if they were just stacked over one side of the house. So yeah. there's a lot more that goes into it than people realize. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and, and the price for contractors has gone up as well. If you want to get somebody good, I mean, they're. Yeah, I mean, everybody is trying to take advantage of the state of the market. And, um, you know, contractors think developers make bazillion dollars on every property and um you know towns think uh, or homeowners think contractors are making bazillion dollars working for them so everybody is uh you know trying to do their best to take advantage of it which is understandable um but luckily for us we do have a good core group of guys that understand that and they understand that uh we're we, in some ways we're lucky enough that we're big enough that we have a little bit more of, uh, of uh, power, I guess, um, for some subcontractors to to understand that. Well, I, I need to keep this price where it usually should be because Damon has four more houses right after that. Right, right. they got yeah. the, the steady stream. And when eventually, when the market you know trails off and it's not as busy again, we are still going to have plenty of deals going on and we're going to still have plenty of work. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, right now, I think there's that mentality for a lot of people like contractors, you know, make hay while the sun shines, we might be sitting on our butts for, and some people were even during the beginning of COVID, you know, for the first three months, they weren't doing anything. They didn't feel like they could right. do any work. And now they're like, and okay. He, and even then we were busy. We had plenty of stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys realize this is more of a career. This is not just like a sub kind of a job. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so boy, did we get some good prices in uh, March and April. <laughs> and then all of a sudden everything and then, blew up. Yeah, and now we have terrible prices. <laughs> True. So do you, how are you for scheduling, for keeping things on schedule? Do you have any tips for like making sure everything's happening when the way, the way it's supposed to happen or just... Uh, we, we recently started using a piece of software. It's called Co-Construct. So it's uh, desktop software, but it's also an app. Mm -hmm. So you can upload uh, spec sheets and estimates and budgets and proposals. Um, and it has a Gantt chart in it. A Gantt chart is a, shows like the timeline of everything that you have going on. 
So um, and it and it updates uh, so that if you're if you're plastering and your plaster gets COVID like ours did, and you have to wait a week, then you know you can just put that in and then it it pushes everything beyond that forward. So you kind of always know when your estimated completion date is. So you've got your easy. you can take pictures from it. You can use it as an app, so it's real quick to be able to figure out. You know what your budget is, um, what you've paid so far, things like that. So that that helps for sure, um, because before we were just uh, you know using our own Excel sheets that we made to help try to keep keep track of everything, uh, which works. But this is this is much better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and I know. I used to use back in the day, I used to use Microsoft project. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but it sounds similar. So. Yeah. It sounds similar. Cause you're doing that. You're like setting up your dependencies. So th this guy can't start, you know, we can't have the painter come until this guy's done. And then this guy, and then you, you know, so is it doing a lot of those calculations for you or you're just inputting the, the information? Well, you have to, you have to put it in initially, mm -hmm. um, which is always hilarious to me because that, it never just ends up like, like how you think it's going to in the end. So, but yeah, it's it's helpful to know instead of like, okay, this, this, and this happened, you know, now I have to redo and figure out like what, but instead it just kind of does it for you. So it's like, okay, well now it looks like we're going to finish on this date instead of- Yeah, and, and you can let people know like, okay. You right, know. I mean, you can have clients log in too, so they can see, you can actually- like if if uh, like if we're giving them countertop choices, I can upload pictures of the three countertop options that they have. They can choose it in the app, so I know what it's going to be. Uh, it has like text communication within the app, so everything's uh, you know held in there, so that um, you know there's you don't have any miscommunication about anything. Mm -hmm. so it's all done through there. Yeah, that's perfect. And then you've got it. You've got your you can prove to them that they chose that thing, right? Is this what I is, ordered? Yes, look. Because <laughs> yeah. that's a thing for sure. Like, I didn't, I, this is what I wanted. It totally yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, that's happened many, many times. And you have to go back and, and show them. And, and thankfully, I, I even did that on my, uh, this would have been a disaster for me in my first flip in Salisbury. The, I had buyers while we were still framing one of the units and um, they wanted to make some changes. And I said, okay, well, I'm gonna draw the changes. And one of them was putting the toilet close to the uh, shower, uh, which is pretty standard and that's where they wanted it. Yeah. And so I drew it on there and I had them sign it. And um, when it got put in, they said, that's not where we wanted it. It needs to be over here. You need to move it. You need to pay for it. And it was right next to a a, um, a ten inch beam uh, that I couldn't move. So it was going to be incredibly. It would have cost me probably three thousand dollars to wow. move it. And I said, "Well, see, you you signed this, yeah. and that's where you wanted it. So I can move it, but it's going to cost you three thousand dollars, not me." That, and that was a good instinct you had. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now I have, you know, files and files of additional work authorizations that every time they do it, they sign it. 
I try to be as detailed as I can with it. It seems as, as detailed as I want to be, I, I'm always going to miss something. There's always going to be something that, you know, you forgot to put in there, but we get better every time. Yeah. Yeah. That's the huge thing. If you're working with clients ahead of time is communication, right? Because everybody, you know, you hear two people that used to be my job. I was in software and I'd be translating between the developer and the bank and they both be using the same words, but they meant something completely different to them because of the way they were using them. And if you're not familiar with building yet, you're the client who's getting a custom home built. Who knows what you mean <laughs> when you're right. saying something, right? Yeah. yeah. I forget it happened the other day and I, I was like, oh, I can see why you would think that because that's a word that means that in the real world, but in building, that's not what that means. I can't remember now what the word was, but when, when you got started, Damon, and you were building your team, I mean, how did you, did you build, add people as you needed or did you just know, look, we're going to need these professionals and we got to get them on board now. So we know we've got a great team. Um, it was kind of as needed because when we started out, I, we didn't know we were going to be entitling land and, uh, you know, needing engineers and zoning attorneys and things like that. But you, but you start with a basic team, which is, um, you know, a good bookkeeper and CPA, which for me is the same person, which works out great. Um, a good real estate attorney that can not only do transactions, but may not necessarily be a zoning attorney, but at least knows enough about real estate to be able to answer creative things that we were, were curious about. Um, and, you know, someone who at least does more than just uh, is a is a closing factory, basically. Right. Right. Some, there are a lot of those guys who like, uh, you know, don't talk to me about wholesaling, don't talk to me about funky agreements or anything like that. I just, I just want my closing fee and that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we work with got, uh, attorneys who just know a little bit more about that. Uh, and then also, yeah, it's, it's worth um, at the very least, you know, getting to know general contractors, guys who, um, you know, you see that do good work and, um, you know, generally we found you, you do get what you pay for with guys like that. So even if some guys may, you know, it may seem like they're a little bit expensive, uh, you know, it's probably because they're worth it. Yeah. At the end of the day, when you're not changing things and you're not looking at a mess. Right. I mean, do you want to, you know, do you want to pay, you know, a certain guy um, 10 grand less, but then have to babysit him every day for three months and fix his screw ups. And, you know, he doesn't call you back at the end when there's a warranty issue or something like that. Yeah. Or do you want to pay a little bit more and have this guy take it, control it, it's done well, it's done right, and you can spend your time finding other deals. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't know how much that 10 grand cost you. Right, so it's it's an opportunity cost. Yeah. So, and, and there's, you know, there's several, uh, there's actually several general contractors that I know, like on Facebook, who I, uh, I've talked to them, I've messaged with them, I haven't worked with them yet, um, but I would, um, I, and I know they're going to be a little bit more than I would want to pay, but uh, for uh, it is worth it for us to get our time back to do other things because, you know, uh, if if we had to take control, if I had to have Ben, my partner, take over these four projects when we fired a builder, 
and he didn't have time to do that Waterville deal, we would have lost out on, uh, you know, close to half a million dollars. So is it, worth it, to, grand. <laughs> is it worth it to pay a couple guys, you know, 10, 15, 20 grand extra to, uh, to take care of this sort with for us so that we can make half a million? I, I'd say so. That seems, that seems like a good trade-off. <laughs> yeah. So Damon, now, what I tips mean, would you, sorry. I was going to say the thing is, it's um, it all comes back to getting the deal, buying the deal right in the first place. And uh, we have a hard money lending company too. And I can't tell you how many people complain to me about getting nine and a half percent and two points. And um, I'm old enough to remember back after the crash, hard money was 15 and five. Yeah. And plenty of people did deals and plenty of people made money. And, uh, you know, I, it's, I mean, it's tough to say that now because, you know, people are bidding hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of dollars over ask and not getting properties. Yeah. But uh, if you're buying the deal right, if you, can't, if you can't pay hard money, pay a private investor in second position, and pay for a consultant to help design and still make money wasn't really a best, the greatest deal in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I mean, I, I'm talking about interest rates. I laugh now when people are like, oh, it's 4%. I mean, when I bought my first house, my interest rate was 15 and that was down. It was 18% before that. Right. So it was like, oh, it's down to 15. Wow, that's great. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's a joke. I mean, now kids today don't even, that's not even, they can't even fathom that. I'm like, okay. No. Yeah. No, yeah. no, most people just run it as, um, you know, if I get the best hard money rates possible, I can just barely squeak out a decent profit. I'm going to do this deal. And I'm if like, nothing goes not, wrong, you should not do that deal. Yeah. Yeah. Because look, we've had, um, we've had a, we had a, uh, a single family house build a few years ago that, um, fantastic house, uh, at the end, we didn't make a dollar on it because it took too long and we had a bank, a bank loan on it too, but it took almost 24 months and time kill kills all deals. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter you know, how low your interest rate is, it's still interest. And if you take too long, it's going to take your whole profit away. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, there were other issues there, engineering issues, um, foundation issues, uh, drainage issues that ended up costing money too. But we had a, a huge spread on that and it ended up um, being nothing for us at all just because mm -hmm. it took too long. But think of what you learned though. <laughs> I, I wish it was as easy as that. <laughs> so Damon, what advice would you give to someone who's been really wanting to do this and just hasn't pulled the trigger yet, like to get started in doing some kind of, of any of the types of things that you've done, like just getting started in real estate investing? Um, in general, I would say learn as much as you can from the people who are, who you see are successful in the way they go about things, the way they do things. And um, follow that as best you can. Build your team as best you can with people you trust. And 
don't rush into deals just for the sake of wanting to get your first deal done. Um, if it's not a deal, it's not a deal. And you can be very upset with yourself afterwards, but, you know, make the first one. It's, it's, which is tough to say because it's so hard right now. A lot of people are trying to find anything they can. And I hear a lot of mentors being like, ah, why don't do the condo conversion? Just find a, you know, a basic three bed, two bath that you, that you just have to do a cosmetic updates to. And I'm just like, well, I would love to find that deal. Where's that one? <laughs> Like that, at least in, in Massachusetts, that is that might be the rarest type of deal I've ever, I don't think I've ever done one like that. A single family that did not need a full gut. I don't know, we've never actually done that. I don't think the market's right for that right now. It's not right for that, but I mean, even back in 2016, 2017, don't think we've ever done that. It's a little buffing. What is it? Buff and fluff, fluff and buff. Fluff and buff. That's it. Yeah. I, and, and listen, they are out there. I know a few people that did that recently. Um, but man, man, is that a diamond in the rough? Yeah. But what? But because of that, that's how we, we make our own deals. Basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do zone changes. We do change of use. Uh, we do additions. We do all sorts of different things. Yeah, think out of the box a little bit and think what what's the highest and best use for the because you touched on that before like what's the highest and best use for this land what's the highest and best use for this property right you know, maybe it's not what you're looking at right now so, right yeah. yeah well damon well, thank you so much do you want is there anything you wish i would have asked that i didn't ask or anything you want to share in parting well if anybody has any vacant land i'd love to buy it <laughs> so how what's the best way for people to get in touch with you damon i mean all this links and stuff are going to be on the podcast show notes but why don't you tell us as well um our website is downeastresidential.com uh, you can find my email and my phone number on that uh, also see our gallery of our past projects those are all everybody always asks me are these stock photos and and none of them are those are all projects that we've actually done uh, that's the best way. Um, we're Down East Residential on Instagram. We post uh, every now and then. We need to get better at that. <laughs> but uh, uh, I mean, I have like personally, I have Instagram, and I have about 300 people that follow me. I've never actually made a post. <laughs> so, um, but our 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 business has. So um, you can find us there to see like a. That, that'll give you the most up-to-date, like, what are we doing now kind of thing. Fun. Um, and then you can find us on Facebook. I'm pretty active on Facebook. I belong to a lot of groups. I, I run uh, the uh, Recap Investment Group, which is a, a local investment group. We used to have uh, live meetups. We don't right now. Uh, hoping to do that again, maybe the end of the summer or so, um, when, when things are a little bit easier to do that. Yeah. Um, but that's where, you know, there's a lot of good information there. You can find contractors and attorneys and advice. And uh, a lot of people post looking for very specific things. And there's plenty of people in there willing to help. Um, so that's a great resource too. So recap investment group on Facebook. Uh, and we're also, um, uh, we're also building a real estate app right now too. Oh, what will that be about? So it's going to be Essentially, it's going to be a platform to be able to 
buy and sell uh, wholesale deals, off-market real estate. Fine. Yeah. So it'll be um, sort of an auction site. Um, however, we're not going to charge. It'll be a membership fee. It's not going to be like auction.com where you have to pay a gigantic buyer premium to, to buy. Uh, we don't take anything from what they're they're buying and selling. Um, but we, it's a membership fee. It'll, it'll have a, a really, really upgraded uh, deal analyzer and rehab estimator, as well as you can put all this information into a, a really well done PDF deal packet um, to send to a hard money lender, uh, which is also us. Um, so you can uh, basically, you, you'd be able to log in, search your zip code, find a deal, buy a deal, get lending for a deal in roughly 15 minutes. Wow. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else out there like that. Is there? Uh, no, uh, there are several apps that tried, but they clearly did not uh, spend too much time. I mean, this, this has been a brainchild for, I think, three years now. Um, half because it's very complicated and very good and half because we haven't had time to <laughs> a lot um, every now and then. But uh, yeah, when it comes out, it's going to be, it's going to be a game changer. I think it'll be a great place for people who are looking for deals to find wholesale deals. It's going to be great for wholesalers who, you know, can put their wholesale deal up in one place and have everybody come to them. Sounds and that's great. Where they can sell it right, right online. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it brings virtual wholesaling to a whole new level. Yeah. And it's a passive income stream where you don't have to do anything, right? It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We have a really good team. That's, uh, that's part of it. So my, my partner, Ben and I kind of started it together. Um, you know, one of our partners is actually, uh, Stacy Alcorn. She's the CEO of lay air realty. Mm -hmm. So she's a partner in on that. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're creating a new uh, hard money company just specifically for that. Um, so it'll have great rates and you'll be able to very quickly be pre-approved for a hard money loan. Nice. Yeah. Great. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a cool, cool project. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Damon, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us today. And thank you, listener, for listening and tune in. Be sure to tune in next week. And I'm, I know there's someone you know who can benefit from this information. So please share the link to the podcast with them and get them involved and interested in, in uh, achieving their future passive income stream. In the meantime, have a great week. <laughs>